Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And now we are extremely fortunate that we do not have Nate Zielinski on the line. I mean that we have Will Dykstra on the line. Will, that always comes out wrong. Hey, I, I, you know, I, it's pretty common, but I'm starting to think that you might actually mean it here, Terry. No. You know, we, we love Nate. We love Nate. Um, we thought we were doing a short show today, and I told Nate that we wouldn't have time. And then we found out the schedule, the short shows next week. He had already booked a hunting trip. But we are very, very, we always love Nate. He's a great contributor, but so are you. In fact, I'm seeing so much of you in the Denver Post that you're starting to be a big star. Yeah, you know, uh, everybody tells me I got a face for radio, but uh, you keep throwing me in the newspaper and you never know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I see on my notes, Karen wrote my notes that, Will wants to talk about um, what's going on in hunting right now, some fishing reports, and how good-looking he is. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think something got lost in translation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening? Well, by the way, Chad Lachance is in studio with me. Hey, Chad. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing excellent, Will. Good to talk with you. So uh, give us a rundown. It's September. We I, I struggle every morning leaving the house. Do I grab a gun or a rod or both? Uh, what What's Will up to these days? You know, it's uh, unfortunately, you know, since this whole full-time fishing gig has started, I would say that my hunting time has suffered uh, because, like all three of us here know, September is one of the best fishing months of the entire year in Colorado. You know, we always say, I've heard you say it, Chad, I know Terry says it all the time, when people ask us what our favorite time of year is to fish, it's, uh, you know, we typically say, well, whenever I can fish, you know, but it's whatever season we're in, you know, whether it's early spring or summer i mean i'd say you know even ice fishing um you know we love doing but this time of year um as a fishing guide and someone that's on the water every day uh you know it just poses some of the best fishing of the year and uh you know we're going to talk a little bit about the fishing we also got a little bit of a hunting update but you're right chad i mean we got you know right now it's grab your bow grab your buzzer loader or grab your fishing rod you know and some people might be able to do both or your shotgun. I mean, yeah. we've, we've even got waterfowl going. And dove season. And doves, yeah. It, absolutely. You know, so, so to be a sportsman in Colorado in September, uh, you almost have too many things to choose from. <laughs> That's a first-world problem, let me tell you that. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but you're, you spend most of your time down in South Park, and, uh, and we were down there not terribly long ago, down at 11 Mile, been a month or so at this point. Are you moving into your fall patterns now, or are you still fishing more late summer stuff? You know what? It's kind of—I'll tell you—it's changed just about every day. You know, we had a really nasty cool down this past week to kind of shut our morning topwater summer, which is what I would consider a summer bite down. And uh, you know, I found our, we found ourselves—you know—throwing more jerk baits, throwing more uh, swim baits and, and spinner baits in the morning. And then you know, once that sun's out, warms that water temperature up, we can kind of slide back into our summer patterns for the afternoon. You know, when we're doing two trips a day, you know, 12 hours, it's amazing to see how much the bite changes over the course of 12 hours on the water, especially, like we said, this time of year where cool mornings, you know, that fall typical pattern, fall weather, and then later in the day, high sun, no wind, you know, the water temp, when I left the other day at Spinney, the water temp was 69.8 degrees, which is really uncommon for September in South Park. 
No, it really sounds like it is. So are your main bites right now, the pike, you still catching trout? What all is going on? You know, uh, we're catching a ton of big trout right now, um, throwing, you know, the usuals, uh, uh, two gigs, jerk baits, and spoons. Um, You know, Tim, you got to tell people if you're going to target trout in South Park in the morning, uh, or if you're planning on targeting trout, start off the morning throwing a jerk bait, you know, power fishing, uh, rip in with long pauses, and I tell guys, you know, usually when I'm running guys through what, what we're doing for the day, that first or second cast, these guys are almost always hooked up with a big rainbow, um, because early in the morning, those fish are cruising, they're they're uh, really active, and they're, they're really chomping jerk baits. Um, once that sun comes up and, you know, it starts to get calm like we were talking, it turns into a little bit of a finesse game, but I'll tell you what, what we've started doing is power fishing with two jigs. And uh, Chad, it's probably right up your alley of style of fishing. We're literally fishing these tube jigs, whether we're underweighting them with like a one-eighth ounce jig head or whether we're fishing super heavy with something like a three-eighth ounce head, we're ripping these baits in like a jerk bait. And these tube jigs are dancing around so much that it elicits that reaction strike out of these fish that are, you know, for the most part focused on feeding on, uh, you know, coronamids or, or calabatus or, uh, or mayflies, you know, all that stuff. Where typically the conventional guys will struggle, we found that throwing, you know, power fishing with soft plastics like tubes and, and, and even hair jigs, for that matter, uh, elicited a lot of those reaction strikes. And sometimes we do even better than the fly guys when uh, when it, when the fish are on a hatch like that. Well, yeah, you know, you get a crash the hatch thing going on. They can chase down those chronomids and eat them at one calorie at a time, or they can get all excited and giddy and chase that tube jig down and smoke that thing. And, you know, somebody asked my cameraman one time, we were fishing with a tube jig in the river, and uh, and that guy asked me, he says, well, what do you think that looks like to a trout? And my camera guy says, about 10,000 of them little bugs. And, uh, you know, that, that's, what it comes, right. that's what it comes down to. And, and you know, I'm, I would imagine fishing like you're fishing with the tube jigs, you get trout that'll bump it and miss it and bump it and miss it and keep going until you finally get them to hook up. Trout are an extremely excitable species, and uh, they're very visual feeders. And once they key on something, they'll bounce on that for a while. And it's probably a really fun way to catch fish. Hey, Will, be oh, it, it, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, with what Chad said, you know, these fish get super excited. They're chasing it hard. And I'll tell you, you know, it's for this style of fishing to have a real high gear ratio on your spinning reel or even a bait caster because these trout are big enough. Um, but it's important because these fish have been hitting the bait and swimming with it so fast that guys will be working their bait still while the trout's jumping because they don't even realize they're hooked up because these fish are, like you said, so excitable and get going so fast. And you're talking about, most of these fish are 22 to 26 inches. I mean, that fish has got a lot of power and a lot of speed. And uh, if they're going the wrong direction, which is towards you, sometimes you might not know you're hooked up. Well, yeah, you know, that's why we talk about that Revo Rocket a lot. And my fishing for that exact reason is get get tight on fish in a hurry, and it's an important thing. And, you know, some of those fish are extremely fast. If you remember when I fished with you last time we filmed down there at Spinia, I hooked a, a, a fish that had – borderline salmon qualities at the speed at which that thing took off when I hooked him. And, uh, and that was, it, it was one of my favorite hookups. And of course I got schooled by him, but that's a whole nother story. But, uh, but that was a really exciting hookup and those fish are well-fed. They're extremely healthy and, uh, getting tight on them in a hurry is important. And, and, uh, and I, I'd, I'd like to come down there and check that bite out with you. Will, before we get to hunt, before we get to hunting, you any update on what's going on with the walleyes? You know, the walleye fishing, we're kind of starting to see, we're kind of almost the same thing as South Park with, with our fall, uh, the summer to fall pattern. Is we're still catching a lot of fish. 
live baiting, live bait rigging on uh, on structures. So a lot of the roadbed, um, on a lot of these lakes or any of these hard structure areas, you know, the slow death hook and a bottom bouncer. It's not rocket science. You're still catching a lot of those. You know, it's still a summer summer pattern. Our water temps are high, uh, but we are starting to see some bigger fish. If you're out there to target bigger fish, um, throw those jigging wraps or blade baits. Uh, even some, uh, you know, I've been doing really well on my trips with with a paddle tail, uh, with a three eight ounce paddle tail um, jig head uh, set up, and we're catching a lot of fish on those. Those are going to be your bigger fish, you know. If you want to catch numbers of fish, I tell everybody, you know, go ahead and fish with bait and spend time on structure. If you want to catch your bigger fish, go fish shallow with reaction style baits uh, like those jig and wraps, blades, and, and and swim baits. You know, that's a great point, and I think Chad would agree with this, and I'm sure you will, that a lot of people think because they're catching fish, eventually I'm going to get a big one. And the reason those big fish get big is they have different habits than the other fish. And you have to, if you're not, you have to target big fish most of the time to catch them. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we had a, a customer the other day want to take a couple walleyes home, so we, uh, we actually caught one right at 18, which is the size one of their Chatfield, that was uh, on the roadbed while we were uh, live bait rigging. And then we then we caught a larger fish jigging, you know, uh, 19 and a half, 20 inch fish, you know, and it's only an inch and a half difference uh, on the size, but that's a, big, a considerably larger fish for the most part. And uh, my customer that night uh, let me know. I said, hey, let me know what's in his belly when you get home. And uh, the smaller fish had uh, crayfish in its stomach, and then the larger fish actually had uh, four and a half inch perch in its stomach. So, you're, you know, right there, they're feeding on two completely different things. That, that's exactly what we see going on at Carter Lake as well. You get the, the sub-20 inch fish. They're exclusively crayfish eaters. They get 20, 21 inches. They flip around. They're exclusively trout eaters at that point. And, uh, you know, it's a fundamental difference in diet when they get big enough to swallow anything they can catch, and uh, therefore you got to target them different. Hey, Will, before we, uh, run out, before we run out of time, what's going on in the hunting scene? Well, you know, so today's a big day. The, the muzzleloader season opens statewide for, the, uh, uh, for elk, deer, and moose. So uh, we're, we're going to see a lot more guys in the woods now uh, for this next uh, you know week and a half or so with this puzzle order season. Uh, right now, you know, with this full moon we had this past week, uh, even with these high temperatures, there was a lot of rut activity going on. So, you know, Nate talks about it a lot, and I always preach it to people when we talk about elk hunting. You know, make sure you're not bumping your animals, not overcalling. Um, the bulls are starting to rut hard. There's you know, but they still have, they don't have their big groups of cows yet. At least the, the elk that I've been watching, you know, your big bulls are still a two, three, four cows kind of letting the, the satellite bulls or the raghorns do all the work and, and hurt up the cows. And uh, here I, I imagine in the next, you know, seven to 10 days, we're going to start seeing those bulls slide in with the larger herons. So when you're talking about um, hunting a specific animal or a, a big bull, which everybody wants to probably shoot a big bull, uh, you know, this is a good time to still, not pressure them too hard, but uh, but get in there, see what they're doing, and uh, try to do a little more soft calling and don't get too amped up because a big bull right now is just going to um, start rounding up his cows and get out of there. So big emphasis on uh, less calling, especially with more hunters in the woods, and uh, you know not bumping your animals. So as far as that goes, that's kind of what we're looking at right now with the elk rut and uh, with the archery and muzzleloader seasons that are happening right now. Again, dealing, dealing with this heat, you know, focus on being in the woods in the morning and in the evening and don't spend too much time in the woods during the day because uh, there's a good chance you're going to bump your animals, your animals out of their bed and 
more than likely uh, push them out of the country, and you're going to have to find a different group of animals on it. Well, I have a question for you. Um, you get, you know, I know you and, and Nate and your group do a lot of scouting. I know Chad does a lot of scouting, and it's so important to hunting. We can't talk enough about that. And a lot of that scouting has gone on already. But now that you have these other hunters in the woods, the muzzleloaders especially, because the muzzleloaders have to get close, but they're probably not quite as stealth a mode as an archer. And then they, they make a little bit of noise when they, do, when they do harvest an animal. So do you find that you have to change? If Say if you're looking for first rifle, you're trying to just you know pattern some animals. Do you have to change how you scout and really scout hunters too? You know, you, you do that as scout hunters and kind of know the activity that's going on in the area that you're hunting. But, you know, for the most part, because of that break during the end of archery, or even, yeah, I guess I would even say the end of muzzleloader, that break that you get, at least from firearms going off in the woods, uh, between first rifle, you know, a lot of times those animals will settle down. But it's always good to try to figure out your escape routes. And, and a lot of guys spend too much time figuring out where their elk are living versus where their elk are going to go once that pressure starts, you know, I, there's a particular area down south where we where we spent a lot of time hunting where we knew as soon as the uh, muzzleloader season started, this other drainage is going to fill up with elk because, A, it was a safe area for them, big, steep canyons, uh, you know, so kind of that just feeling safe. And then it's really rugged country that not a lot of hunters like to go into. And, uh, you know, so we knew right there, you know, you're going to have to, muster it up and, and get into some stuff that's a little tougher hunter to, or country to hunt, but I'll tell you what, that's where the animals are, and a lot of guys spend too much time saying, well, where'd my elk go? They'll eventually show back up, and, and usually in that case, uh, you're, you know, especially the short season like first rifle, you might not get back on your animals if they get spooked out of the area from hunting pressure. I mean, and even archers will, will uh, uh, bump animals out of, out of their typical country, even though, you know, we're not firing off loud guns or anything, even that scent or, you know, just pushing animals out will do that. So try to focus on secondary areas and, and escape route areas because a lot of times that's where a lot of people cash in um, while other hunters are doing the hard work pushing them around. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Nate, and I tend to hunt a lot of state wildlife areas, and so it's a little bit different. I don't have giant, vast areas that uh, that you guys have in terms of hunting elk, but one of the things I keep track of in all my pre-scouting is where are my access points? Where is everybody going to park? Where are they going to head into the woods? The escape route, before you can establish that, you have to know where the pressure's coming from. So one of the easy ways to, to, to start figuring some of that out is where are the key access points? Where are hunters going to be flooding into the woods from? And that'll give me a pretty good idea of, you know, uh, ways to narrow down to get a jump on the animals when they go to vacate. And I, I tend to hunt whitetails and mule deer more than elk, but particularly whitetails will for sure vacate the country and uh, or, or cease to move in the daylight. And knowing where hunting pressure is coming from helps me a bunch with that. Absolutely, Chad. You know, and I know you and I have talked about it before, Chad, but a great tool for you. If you can't get out in the woods and you know, check out where the pressure is coming from, a great tool is Google Earth. And, Chad, I know you use Google Earth for, for different reasons than what I'm about to say, but, you know, you can actually check history on Google Earth. And when these photos are taken, a lot of the photos that I've noticed, uh, the aerial shots have been in that hunting season time frame, and you can almost always see where cars are parking um, during these hunting seasons, which is a good way to figure out if you can't get out there, hop on Google Earth, and you can usually move the, the timeline back. And, and a lot of times these photos are taken this time of year, and you can kind of see where all that pressure is coming and those access points are just by seeing where cars are pulled off on the side of the road. 
Well, we got we got to go. We're out of time. But if somebody's going fishing tomorrow, you know the Broncos play Monday. The guy might want to get out real quick. Where would you go? Uh, you know South Park's fishing really good, and and our Front Range walleye lakes are fishing really good. I'd flip the coin, and uh, you know if you don't want to spend the time to go in the South Park and spend the fuel, our walleye fishing is really hot right now. And if they want a guided trip, they can get a hold of you at uh, tightlineoutdoors.com. Yeah, or the Facebook page, either one. All right, Will, thank you so much. All right, guys, have a good one. You bet. That's Will Dykstra with Tightline. You know, Chad, what a great resource, Tightline. Those guys are good. Yeah, they are. Been out with them a whole bunch of times, been out with several of them. I, uh, one of the guys that used to work for them cut his chops going guided trips with me even. So, yeah, we have a long history with Nate and his crew. Terry Works from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Dire Straits. Not the Eagles, but pretty darn good. I like that. You like Dire Straits? Oh, yeah. Mark Knopfler's one of the most talented guys out there. Oh, they make some great music. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. And it is time for our Ask the Expert question. This is where you send your outdoor question to Terry Wicks from Outdoors at gmail.com. It can be hunting, fishing, camping, outdoor cooking, outdoor clothing, um, anything outdoors. If we choose to answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. Today's question is from Rick and Loveland. Hi, I finally applied in time and got my first ever deer tag this year for rifle season. As as I am new to big game rifle hunting, what would be the most important three or four gear items that I should spend my money on? Of course, in studio with me is Chad Lachance. Chad, you're also not, besides an angler, an avid hunter, and of course I did a lot of hunting in my past. I'll think of a few things, but start out. What, do you, what would you suggest? Well, yeah, I spend about as much time hunting as I do fishing, though most people don't know it. And, you know, as a, as a first ever um, big game hunter, I think there's a couple of key things that are really, really important. And, you know, uh, first off, uh, you've got to be comfortable in the woods. You have to be comfortable in the woods and you have to be safe in the woods. So I'm, I'm going to throw out right off the bat that you've got to have a, a good quality layering system of clothing. And, and we don't even need to talk about cotton. Cotton's a dirty word for an outdoors. Cotton kills. Cotton kills. Yeah. Cotton is a dirty word. So I, I think you need to have a good base layer of either poly or wool. Then you got to have some mid layer of fleece or wool that you can that obviously some bulk and some uh, something you can layer there and then you need to have a windproof and waterproof shell system of some sort uh, you've got to have that to stay safe comfortable avoid uh, you know hypothermia or anything like that this is Colorado particularly in the early seasons you know I, I shot a big mule deer last year it was 85 degrees when I shot him but it was only 30 degrees when I got out of the truck that morning and so you've got to really be able to layer up and be able to hike around you know take your layers off do your hiking when you you sit down, put your layers on. Don't wear your layers while you're walking because you'll get all sweaty. So in my mind, one of the most important things is the layering system of clothes, windproof, waterproof, and certainly nothing that's going to absorb water in any of your base layers. The second item to me, uh, in any outdoorsman, I'm sure will jump on this one, is boots. And they've got to be waterproof. They've got to supply some support. And they've got to fit you correctly. And uh, and one of, the, one of the tips I have for that, when you're going to go to Sportsman's Warehouse and buy a pair of boots, don't go first thing in the morning. 
Go late in the day. I learned this from a boot manufacturer. Go late in the day because whoever you are, regardless, your feet will swell over the course of the day the more time you spend on them. And we've all heard of outdoorsmen saying, oh, you know, my boots fit fine and my feet got sore late in the day. Well, that's because your feet swelled over the course of the day of you using them and walking around on them. And so try your boots on when your feet are already swollen up and with the appropriate socks. So don't go in there with a pair of cotton socks that you'd wear to go play, you know, tennis or golf and then expect your boots to fit when you put your wool socks in there. So that's a key thing. You know, and you're so absolutely right. If your feet hurt or you're uncomfortable, when you go to make that shot and you're just not you're not feeling right, your confidence suffers. You don't you don't hunt right. You don't approach the outdoors right. I want to make before we run out of time in this segment, I want to make sure we touch on one item too. Obviously everybody who's going rifle hunting probably is going to buy a rifle. That'd be a good place to spend a little money and we could sit here all day and talk about calibers. Right, right. And, yeah, and there's a million yeah. of them, but you do some research. But if I had X number of, mo- of dollars to spend on a rifle and optics, I'm going to spend more money on the optics than the rifle. Now I'm going to get a good rifle, but don't get up real high-end rifle and cheap optics, you're going to be you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. My rifle and my optics are about 50-50. They cost about the same. And so the scope, you can't, if you can't see it, you can't hit it. And uh, if you can't get a good, clear mental picture of what you're looking at and, and, uh, and, and all kinds of conditions, and they're all going to look good standing in sportsman's looking out the window in a scope. But, you know, the reality is spend some money on a good quality scope. I shoot Steiner Optics. It's a really, really good quality scope. I think that's an important thing to look at. The other item I was going to throw out there if you can't find them you can't shoot them a good quality pair of binoculars hanging on a binocular strap a chest strap around your neck all of the deer that I shoot every year, my first contact with those deer is through those binoculars, almost guaranteed. So a very good quality pair of binoculars. I carry a 10 by 42. Uh, it's a 10, 10 power optic with a 42 millimeter objective lens. Very important to have a good quality optic as well. And both your binoculars and your scope, you made a great point. Go to Sportsman's Warehouse, have the, the clerk step outside with you. Yes, sir. Look at them and go Early in or late in the day when you're getting dusk or when the light is changing, you'll be amazed. You know, there's a lot of inexpensive scopes and binoculars that at noon or in the store look awfully good. Yep. But you get outside and see the light gathering, it can be very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you look at those mounts in the store through a binocular, they're like, fine. You step outside and you look at a bird in a tree 300 yards away, it's a, it's a much more realistic thing of what you're doing. And the, and the, and the uh, store associates are happy to go outside with you and let you do that. Uh, and I think that that's really important. You know, another thing, um, it goes back to your rifle a little bit and your scope. I think some way to, to, to mount your rifle to shoot. In other words, a, a shooting stick, uh, of some sort of a, a bipod, something that you can rest your rifle on to shoot. I don't care who you are or how long you've been shooting. It is unsafe and unethical to try to shoot deer at 100 yards offhand. You need something to lean on. So unless you're planning on leaning on a tree uh, or laying down prone, which isn't always an option in grass and sagebrush and things like that, uh, you need something to shoot off of as well. And that also go back to practicing on that. And we'll get into that momentarily as you're well. You're right. Well, that was we're out of time now, but that was our Ask the Expert for the day for sending that question in. Rick and Loveland gets a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. You can get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending us your question. Any outdoor question, if we answer it on the air, we'll send you a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Terry Wickstrom and Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going to go right to the phones. 
And joining us from Colorado Clays is Mark Cousins. Mark, I have Chad Lachance in studio with me. Good morning. Good morning, Kerry. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, Chad and I were just talking in the last segment. We had an Ask the Expert question about a first-time hunter, and he wanted to know what gear he needs to spend his money, his budget on. And one thing we kind of brought up at the end, Chad and I both agreed, is some of that money might be spent at the range making sure you're ready. And, Terry, that's a great point because many people will get sometimes too caught up in equipment, and they would be money ahead to spend more money on ammo and practice than maybe the latest gadget. Um, I mean, you got to have your basics, your good clothing, you know, a knife, all that stuff, personal survival kit. But, boy, spending some time at the range is crucial to a successful hunt. Yeah, well, uh, this is Chad, uh, Mark, and, uh, you know, I, I, I say it's like this. You know, you can give me Tiger Woods' golf clubs, and you can give him some pawn shop specials, and he's still going to score better than me, and, and I do have pun intended in that. But uh, the, uh, the reality of the situation is, yeah, you're only as good, the gun is only as good as the guy behind it. And more than just shooting, just zeroing your gun, that's what we all told, go out and zero your gun. Well, that's fine. Knowing where it hits is very, very important, and it needs to have an effective zero spot, and you need to know where that is. But not just shooting, you need to shoot in real-world situations. I've shot a whole pile of deer, and never was there a bench rest anywhere handy when I was doing that. So, uh, Nor was, were those deer shot indoors. So shooting indoors is tough, and come to your guys' facility, I can shoot uh, in much more realistic situations. Can I attain hunting positions in my, in my rifle range there? Yes, um, we have a, what's called a no-blue-sky concept range. It's overhead baffled, and from the shooting position, you can shoot from offhand to prone. So people come in, they'll bring their, um, their field shooting sticks, uh, their you know, bipods or tripods, they'll uh, shoot prone. We have one uh, shooting mat down there we loan out, or if you bring a, you know, a ground mat, you can throw it on the ground. You can shoot prone underneath the benches. You can shoot offhand. Um, even though that's one thing I never recommend on a big game shot, it's an offhand shot. Amen. Always try to find a braced or supported shooting position for that clean kill. But, yeah, we do have that ability to shoot other than just off the bench. Now, I know you do a lot of shooting. I'm a big fan of carrying shooting sticks specifically because prone is great if there's no grass or there's no sagebrush. Uh, I'm a big fan of using shooting sticks that allow me to sit or kneel or potentially even stand in open country uh, to shoot and, and stable myself that way. A bipod, a, you know, a standing bipod or extendable bipod, something like that. What's your thoughts on those? Well, I run a mid-length bipod on mine that I can go prone, kind of a high-prone, at the closed position, I snap them out to the open, and it gives me a great seated position. And most of the animals I shoot are off of a seated position with the bipod. If I need a little more height, I always carry a set of collapsible shooting sticks hooked on the side of my hunting pack. And sometimes I just keep them out extended and use them as my walking stick. Uh, I also use my, my shooting sticks to brace my binoculars when I sit in glass. So they do double duty, but I, um, I rarely shoot anything that's not on a bipod or a shooting stick. Yeah, myself included. And you just gave away a great tip, by the way, setting your binoculars on your shooting sticks. I use some that extend all the way to standing height, and they steady and stabilize your binoculars so you can pull your binoculars against the strap on your chest real tight on top of your shooting sticks, and it's almost like looking off, a, off of a, uh, off a tripod with your yeah, glasses. I wear the harness, too, so you get a little tension. <clears throat> it works great. And uh, that's another thing to practice with, too, before you go hunting. 
You know, we get into the practice part too, Mark, and the fact is that the reason you want to shoot, you know, you know what my mantra is, don't get ready for hunting, stay ready for hunting. But first of all, obviously you need to be comfortable with your weapon because when your heart's beating 150 mile, 150 beats a minute, and if it isn't, you shouldn't be out there. If this is, if you have to think about it, you're not going to do well. But the other thing is how many times at the range when somebody comes to zero in just before they hunt, does something malfunction? <laughs> Well, um, several times in the past week with muzzleloader shooters, I uh, had a rear sight screw shear off on Wednesday. He was back on Thursday with a new rear sight, got it sighted in for leaving yesterday for hunting camp, um, had a bad breech plug. I mean, several times this week alone with last-minute checkups for muzzleloader season, which opened this morning at 30 minutes before sunrise, um, we had people experience um, equipment issues or failures and they had to get, get it fixed and get back in under a really tight time crunch. And it's far better to get that out of the way a month or so ahead of season. Um, it's also crucial to remember that even though if you go buy a new gun or a new scope and they bore sighted or it says bore sighted, that's not sighted in. And <laughs> when I was a wildlife officer one time, I actually checked a guy who said it should shoot good. They bore sighted it when I bought it. I see fully less than 50% of the guns out of the box or out of the bore sighting will actually hit the paper, let alone shoot a decent group. No, you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things uh, Chad and I also brought up, and you bring this up a lot too, and whether you're big game hunting or small game hunting or waterfowl or even upland game and dove, which is going on right now, practice in your hunting clothes. That, and that's a great thing. I see they, folks come out and they shoot with a T-shirt, they're setting up a brand-new gun, and they adjust the, the eye relief based on, like, a T-shirt. Well, then they have their hunting clothing on, hunting jacket. I, many, like me, carry a day pack. I carry a hydration backpack as my hunting pack. You throw the gun up on that, and you have a quarter of an inch to even maybe three-eighths of an inch or more additional length of pole. It's the equivalent of that because of the clothing and the gear. That's how you need to set your gun up. So that when you bring the gun up in a hunting situation, the eye relief's proper, everything's there. That's, that's not the time to discover, well, I can't see my full field of view. And then that's when the panic will start and probably result in a bad shot or a missed opportunity. Well, you're, you're not get along just fine, Mark, because I was going to say practice with your backpack on because you're going to have a backpack on almost guaranteed, and it is, in fact, going to change how your gun mounts, uh, where your gun mounts, where it's going to change how your eye really relates to the eye box on the scope, and uh, really, really important to do that, and you need to have everything fitted that way. So even if you're going to go get that gun bore sighted, get that eye relief set based on the, the length of pull that's actually going to happen, not, not just what's built into the gun. So it's, uh, those are great. Great, great tips for real-world hunting, and that's one of the advantages also of practicing outdoors is you can try all of the above. Last last comment, Mark, I want to touch on, you know that I believe dove hunting is an evil conspiracy that was started by the ammunition companies. <laughs> but but in, in all honesty, you know, people too often use dove hunting as a tune-up when there's some they're great to eat, and if you did a little practice ahead of time, you'd be much more successful. Oh, that's right. And, you know, one thing I uh, being that um, the ammunition sales, contribute to Pittman-Robertson funds, which help support wildlife management and shooting range development. I like that conspiracy that people find <laughs> a lot of animals for, for dove season. But at the same time, I've never run, I have not talked to anybody out here that hunted opening day that said, gee, I practiced too much. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard a lot of, wow, I should have done some shooting before I went out. 
and now they're in getting a little practice because they don't want the same experience come opening of teal season. You know, teal's going on right now, um, or opening of uh, the duck and pheasant seasons coming up. Hey, Mark, kind of run down the facilities and where you're located. Okay, we're we're located just a few miles east of Brighton off Bromley Lane. It's six miles east of Bar Lake. That's a good landmark. Uh, you go out Bromley, turn south on Lanewood, follow the signs. You'll run into us. We have um, complete shotgun facilities. We have up top here, we have six trap fields. We have one trainer trap set up specifically to help the newer shooter or maybe bring the youngsters on. It throws a nice soft straightaway. We have two trap and ski combo fields, which can also be set for wobble trap. If you want to drive yourself nuts, um, come shoot a little <laughs> wobble trap. Great warm-up for pheasant season. Uh, we also have a 15-station sporting clays course that gives you 30 different target presentations if you shoot the full course. You can go through there and you can say, oh, I had a pheasant shot just like that. I've had a duck shot or I've had a dove shot. It's great practice for hunting. And then we also have a, uh, a rifle and pistol range, 10 lanes at 100 yards and rifle. We keep a half dozen stands up at 50 yards to help the iron sight, red dot sight, muzzle loaders, all those folks to get sighted in. Uh, the 100 yards are on closed-circuit camera, so you have a display monitor right at your shooting position. You can see your shots plainly on the target. And on the other side, we have a 10-lane pistol range, 25 yards, individual target carriers. You can put the targets from powder burn out to 25 yards. All right, Mark, and the best way to find you, coloradoclays.com. Yep, check out the website at coloradoclays.com. Take, go to the homepage, take a look at the overview video. We have a great video that shows all the facilities on the course, uh, give you a real good idea of our layout. Um, check the calendars. Like today we have a, a registered state sporting clay shoot going on. So sporting clays is pretty tied up, but all the other shotgun stuff is open, and rifle and pistols open, and we're running strong down there today. Folks are starting to get out and get sighted in. All right, thanks, Mark. Okay, thank you, Terry. You bet. Mark Cousins from Colorado Clays. Before we go to a break here, Chad, i got to talk about this segment is brought to us by Honey Smoked Salmon, and you know how much I love it. It's in my refrigerator all the time, but I know you've eaten it too. It is is this the best smoked salmon I've ever had? Yeah, it's absolutely delicious. It's easy to take with you, and you know I'm a, I'm a healthy food junkie, and it's very, very good for you. I mean, what, what better to pop a big chunk of protein-rich salmon? So it's delicious and uh, easy to carry. It's great food for hunting season. You know what my biggest problem is? I like to use it as an ingredient because it's so moist and rich, but I end up eating so much of it while I'm cooking. <laughs> it is great stuff. Yeah, it is, and, and it is a great ingredient, whether you make it into a dip or, uh, you know, just on crackers with some capers and some other stuff. It's really good. Not bad with a bottle of wine Not either. bad. I wouldn't <laughs> know anything about that, Terry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Terry Oaks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Chad, we got about 10 minutes left. We've covered hunting, fishing, Colorado parks, an Ask the Expert. We've just talked about so much. Um, it's, that, it's that time of the year when do you grab your rod, do you grab your rifle, do you grab your shotgun, or do you just go for a hike and do wildlife watching and scouting? Where, what are you going to think about? 
Well, I've got big game on the mind at this point, Terry. And so in my mind, um, I'm starting to look at strategies. I'm starting to look at, you know, we touched on a little bit with Will about escape routes and access points and things like that. Um, you know, we talked about some practice and, and practicing from the, the prone position or the, the kneeling or the different positions to make yourself practical with your rifle. Uh, but I'm starting to look at strategies. Before I can harvest game to eat, i got to find it. And, uh, and I've got to effectively get myself within range of a shot that I can make within my skill set ethically and safely. And, uh, and so for me, it starts to start to really study my maps or my aerial photos or my Google photos or whatever I need to do to, to learn my hunting area and start looking at my strategies. And by strategy, I mean, you know, as a fisherman, we might troll, we might jig, we might, you know, we might use downriggers or there's all these different strategies to get your lure in front of a fish. Well, for big game, it's the same thing. And I think a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to go for a hike in the woods, but Okay, that's fine, but having a cohesive strategy is a better plan. And so, it, you know, it could be something like spot and stalk. That happens to be one of my favorite ways to go about hunting, where I'm going to use my optics and let them do a lot of the walking. I'm going to put myself in a position where I can see either transition areas or bedding areas or whatever it is that I want to glass, depending on my time of day. Uh, maybe I want to glass the escape routes that, that Will Dykstra was talking about. But I want to sit somewhere where I can glass game from a long ways away, Colorado is a lot of terrain that allows us to do that and uh, and, and and look and try to try to make visual contact with my game in the event that my that my quarry is moving then I want to try to anticipate where that game is going in the time frame it will take me to get there and then try to put myself ahead of that animal in the event of um, you know say a spotting stock embedding deer which is one of my favorite things to do is to, to spot embedded you know it's those big horns we all love that give them away out there bedded down is how can I approach that deer keeping in mind that they're going to bed typically with their back to the wind and uh, and uh, where they have a good visual in front of them on the downwind side so that they're protected from both sides. In that case, I'm typically going to try to develop a, an across-wind approach to that animal where I can get myself within shot range without you know spooking them or standing them up ahead of time. Uh, so spot and stalk is one of my absolute favorites. But there's another one in Colorado that I think is way underrated, and I know back in your, your home neck of the woods in Minnesota is very common, is tree stand hunting. Uh, I think there's a lot of elk hunters that would be very well served to carry tree stands in the woods and set them over water holes or pinch points or saddles or you know some area that's going to concentrate moving elk or a place that they're going to come to every day. I think a tree stand overlooking escape routes is a fantastic way to be not as obtrusive in the woods. Get in the woods, get yourself 10 feet up in a tree in a, in a climbing tree stand and have elk filter underneath you. And that's a very whitetail way to hunt. But on the other hand, it's a great way to get elk. You know, first of all, I want to say that I know you bring this up all the time. Nate brings it up. Will brings it up. The success, the chance of success in hunts goes up exponentially with the time you put in before the season and your planning. Doesn't mean we we're telling you not to go out if you don't have time. Uh, just set your expectations. But the one thing we do say, make sure you're safe, you understand the terrain, you understand your weapon, and that you're safely hunting. Then the more time you put in, the better you can be. The, the stand is such an incredible way to hunt. It's so effective. Um, I like the stock and spot because spot and stock or that type. I just, I have 
trouble with the patience of just being in a stand. But if you're willing to do that, you can really be successful. Absolutely. You know, you're quiet. The game's coming to you. And anytime game is coming to you, you it puts you in the, I mean, all of our favorite sport fish are ambush feeders for a reason, right? Well, you want to be the ambush predator when you're in a tree stand. So uh, a stand or even a ground blind of some sort is a, is a really good way to, uh, to go about harvesting game. And then in my opinion, one of the least successful, but one of the most exciting ways is to still hunt or to move very, very slowly through areas of woods, uh, could be bedding areas for elk, typically in heavy, dense cover. It could be river bottoms for some of the Eastern Plains type deer. Uh, it could be field edges, CRP edges, um, you know, uh, things like that could be a really, really excellent way. But in that case, you need to be real observant, like two steps, Look around. Look through your binoculars. Trust me, your eyes are not as good as you think they are. Uh, your binoculars will help you a lot in that situation. Even if it looks like you'd obviously see game, they're real good at hiding. Winds and thermals. Understand the wind and understand if you're going to have to deal with thermals. The only way you're going to know those thermals is if you get out there ahead of time. And the winds, know your wind direction and how it tends to change because I love still hunting too. Did a lot of whitetail like that. And you're right, two steps and stop. You don't have to move through the woods making no noise. You have to be part of the environment. The Indians up in Minnesota would call it uh, being coming uh, rhythm of the woods, they called it. Animals make noise when they move, but they move with a certain rhythm that makes them part of the woods. And you can do that, but you have to understand the wind, especially with deer. Oh, yeah. You've got an elk or really any big game. You have to understand the wind and without a doubt. And one of the things that I that I put on, on my plans is my access points are based on the wind. So every morning when I get up and getting ready to go hunt, I'm going to approach my hunting area based on my wind. And, and not only based on my wind right then, but maybe what my anticipated wind is going to be for the afternoon or some other time. Before we get done here, let's. I want to change things up real quick. Um, first of all, I want to remind people that next week we are going to have a short show. This week was supposed to be, but it was they got the schedule wrong, so we're only on for a half hour next week. But there is an event coming up in two weeks that you and I are both going to be at. We're still being put together, but it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to broadcast live from Cherry Creek on the 23rd. You're going to be out there. What are some of the things that are going on? Yeah, Cherry Creek State Park, the Colorado Adventure Expo. Uh, it's free to attend, other than you have to have a day park pass, but they're going to have everything from paddleboarding, kayaking, fly fishing, fishing, archery. Uh, I think they're going to have air rifle type stuff going on as well, all done with uh, instruction or with experts there to help. Um, Four-wheeling information, bird watching information. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to be on hand. I'll be on hand. I'm not entirely sure what I'll be doing there, but I will be on hand uh, to help with whatever we can. Uh, but yeah, September 23rd, Cherry Creek State Park. It's the first ever Adventure Expo. We're all excited about it. It's a great time of year to do it. And, uh, and I really think it's going to be an, a, a great chance for folks to interact with experts of all different disciplines. And I'll be out there broadcasting live from 9 to 11. 30 seconds. I hate to do this to you because you'll take me three minutes. But <laughs> 30 seconds. If I wanted to go fishing this afternoon or tomorrow, where would I go? I think it's a beautiful time to be on the rivers. As much as I hate to say it, the rivers are fishing great right now, and I think I'd probably be on any one of the rivers that was closest to me to get my time on the water, and I would be either swinging streamers or throwing terrestrials. And when can we look for your article on your Alaska trip? That'll be in the next month's issue of the Sportsman's News. You can get that at any of the Sportsman's Warehouse locations, or they'll uh, you can go online and get it at, at sportsmansnews.com. And, of course, you have not only your television show, Fishful Thinker. When is it on? Where is it on? Uh, 9.30s on Saturday mornings on Altitude 
Altitude Sports and Entertainments, and then it'll re-air on Sundays and Fridays, and you can go to our website and get the schedule there or at altitude.tv uh, and get the schedule there. And your guys' guide on, on what waters and how do they get a hold of you? We're on Horsetooth Reservoir. We're on Boyd Lake, and we're on Carter Lake. Um, the, re- the reservoirs are all fishing well right now, and uh, the guys would be glad to take you. Ronnie Castiglione, who was on the radio show last week, is one of the guys, and also Dan Swanson as well, and they'd love to get you in the boat. And just fishfulthinker.com, fishful fishfulthinker think- on Facebook. A fishful Thinker across all social media platforms, and, and of course, on .com, you can book the trip there. All right. I do want to mention uh, our, my social media and some things here, too. If you, um, if you listen to our Tackle Talk today about the Max Scent from Berkeley, I have a huge uh, set of pictures and a couple of videos. I was up fishing those in Minnesota, testing them. Phenomenal success. They'll also, Chad and I did a podcast on those in a Tackle Talk. We'll put that on my Facebook page. So go to the Facebook page. Uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on Facebook. Join us there. A um, lot of information from this show, what's coming up. We also post a link to my weekly column in the Denver Post on that on that uh, on our Facebook page. Chad and I are both have episodes on an, uh, the Netflix of outdoor television, MOTV. Chad and I think between us, we've probably got about a hundred episodes up there. So yeah, at least I think I've got seven seasons, so I got eighty of them myself. Yeah, and so. I got at least forty and some more coming up. So if you want to see episodes of Chad and stuff in mine that was fished locally, go to check out My Outdoor TV. It's going to wrap things up for today's show, um, 9 to 11 today, but we'll only be on for a half an hour tomorrow. But we've decided to keep the show at 9 through football season, so occasionally we'll have a show. And we just want you to join us every week. Follow us on Facebook. Don't forget to check Chad out on Fishful Thinker. And we will see you right here at 9 o'clock next week on 104.3 The Fan while the Eagles take us to the top of the hour. Yes, you stood